Thank you, praise team, for setting our point of focus here this morning. We at First Church would like to welcome you, whether you're here in person, listening on the radio, or watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you're a part of our service and hope that our music and singing is uplifting, our our Bible study revealing, and our prayers impactful. We also hope that God's love and presence is felt while you worship with us this morning. We have many blessings and things to be thankful for, but certainly one of them is that the COVID virus is on its way out. Fewer people are getting sick from it, and some restrictions are being lifted. It is joy that this church is starting to fill back up on our Sunday morning worship service with more hearts and voices to pray and uh, praise our Lord. Today is the third Sunday of Lent, and many Christians reflect on when Jesus entered the temple, proceeded to drive out those who were selling things, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. We have been invaded a bit this morning, as we have a large contingent here this morning to celebrate the baptism of a couple little ones. I know Jana is particularly thankful that her parents are able to be here and be a part of that. Thank you. Glad you're all here. Family is indeed one of God's blessings. The white roses on the honor are in honor uh, on the altar here are in honor of Noah Bruns and Abigail Hirschfeld who are being baptized today. On to some of the announcements. There's a lot of things happening here at First Church. Please look over the bulletin for things that may be of interest to you. A few items to note. The congregational meeting to approve the purchase of the new soundboard and associated items have been rescheduled to Sunday, March 21st. There are two more wonderful Wednesday night meals left, March 10th and 17th. The ministry center doors open at 445 and will be done by 615. Food pickup is also available from 5 to 6 at the west door of the ministry center for those who would like to have carryout. The meal this week is hickory smoked barbecue beef, chicken salad sandwiches, tossed salad, applesauce, and cookies. The Monday night women's Bible study will start a new study by Jenny Allen called Get Out of Your Head on Monday, March 22nd at Maria Lammers House. You can find more details in the bulletin or give Maria a call. Uh, We have a new little one to add to our church family. Megan Avery Little was born March 3rd. Congratulations to the parents, Eric and Maria Little, and grandparents, Jean and Emily Little. Congratulations. The next we'll have the call to worship. Please rise and join me. It is taken from Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. My mouth I will make her faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said... I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonderful Lord, your faithfulness to an assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy one, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. And next, our opening hymn, 66, To God Be the Glory. i 
Now let's bring up those energy packed kiddos for children's chat. Hi, Miles. How are you today? Good. Oh, no. Hi, guys. How are we doing today? Good. Come this way. Come this way. Claire and Millie, come over here. Okay? All right. So, what do we have here? Water. Water. What can we do with water? And drink it. We can drink it. What else can we do with water? Um, play in it. Play in it. Yeah? We could dump it out and water the flowers. Yep. We could. We could freeze it and turn it into ice. Yeah. Do you know that our body is mostly made up of water? And water is very important. We need to drink water so that we can stay hydrated. Okay. So water is some pretty powerful stuff. Because without water, we're going to get pretty sick. So we need to make sure that we have enough water. All right. Now, does anybody know what this is? The baptismal font? Yeah. So in a little while, we're going to have two babies get baptized. Okay? And Pastor Joel is going to use water. Because that water is like a symbol that shows that our sins are being washed away. Okay? Baptism helps us remember that God has saved us and washed away our sins. Now, baptism can be done in different ways. Some people sprinkle water on the baby. Some people get baptized when they're a little bit older, and they, they submerge themselves. They get in this basically a swimming pool-like thing, and they dunk all the way down in the water whenever they get baptized. Okay? There are lots of different ways to do it, but it's a wonderful, important thing to be baptized because it shows us that we are new in Christ. Okay? When we're born, we're born with sin. And we all mess up sometimes, don't we? Yeah, we do. And we can rest assured that God is going to forgive us every time we mess up, every time we do something wrong. So he sent Jesus to take our place and to die so that we can live with God. He loves us no matter what happens. So, today, baby Noah and baby Abigail are going to get baptized. You know what's really cool? They're cousins. That's pretty cool. And their moms and dads 
are going to make a promise. Their moms and dads are going to promise that they're going to teach Noah and Abigail about Jesus. So that when they get older, they can decide for themselves that they want to follow Jesus. Okay? So, when you were little, most of you got baptized. Do you remember when you got baptized? Your mom told you you slept the whole time. You remember when Miles got baptized? Well, guess what? We are going to be able to move and sit right down here on the floor, and we are going to get to watch the baptisms today. That will help us to remember what it was like when we were babies and got baptized. Okay? So let's say a quick prayer, and then we're going to move down here, and the family is going to move up here. Okay? So let's bow our heads. Dear God, thank you for baptism. Thank you for washing our sins our way and making us clean. Help us to remember and to live in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go sit right down here by Tori. Amen. Thank you, Maria. Awesome. Once these kids kind of get cleared out and find a spot down here on the floor, I want to invite the families of Noah, Leo, James Bruns, as well as Abigail Christine Hirschfeld forward for baptism. You guys can come on up here. Lots of children to navigate. That's not a bad thing though, right? Well, usually I take the first moment of, of this time here together to talk about baptism and kind of why we do what we do. But Maria did a wonderful job, you know, starting that off for us. So um, one thing I do want to highlight, though, and, and remind everybody is we've talked a lot this past year about how difficult things have been, right? Difficult things have been with COVID and, and some of the other challenges that we face. And it's been difficult for different people in different ways. But we also have to remember, and this is a great opportunity to do that, that a lot of good has come out of this last year. And we have a couple beautiful examples of that before us today between Noah and Abigail. And we're really excited to have them and have their families here um, to, to witness their baptism here today. I want to invite you to hear these words uh, from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is Jesus speaking before he ascended into heaven to be with the Father. And he says, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so it's in obedience to this command that we do baptize believers and their children. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter told the crowd that was gathered there, It says that the crowd was cut to the heart and they asked what they should do. And Peter responded and said, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you'll be and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off and all who the Lord, our God, will call. And so parents that are up here today, as well as baptismal sponsors, having heard God's gracious promise to us in Christ, do you desire that Abigail and Noah be baptized this day? Praise God. And now this is an opportunity for us here to, for, for you as a family to profess your faith together. Now, obviously, Noah and Abigail are too little to, to do that for themselves. And so in their place, that's where you parents come in and baptismal sponsors come in, is you're, you're making the commitment for them. You know, you're, you're promising to, to take the faith that you believe in, the faith that you possess, and pass it on to your children. Maria highlighted that that is really the commitment that you are making here today is to take that faith, your faith, and pass it on to your children. And so let's, let's take a moment and reflect on that faith, first by, by you responding to a few of these questions, and then we together as a church family, as a church body, will profess our faith together by reciting the Apostles' Creed. And so I ask you this now, do you truly and re- earnestly repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, and in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life? 
Do you intend to be Christ's faithful disciples, trusting His promises, obeying His word, honoring His church, and showing His love as long as you live? And will you devote yourself to the church's teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers? Praise God. Praise God. And like I just said, let's take a moment as a church family and profess that same faith together by reciting the Apostles' Creed. The words are printed in your bulletin. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Wonderful. Let's pray together. We thank You, O God, for the gift of life. We thank You for this family and for these children being baptized today. You, Lord, are the author of life and the giver of every good and perfect gift. Through the death and resurrection of Your Son, Jesus Christ, You've made it possible for us to be accepted into Your family. I pray that You would bless and sustain these children. Draw them to Yourself, just as Jesus welcomed the children during His ministry. May they grow to love You with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we also pray for their parents, that You would equip them to fulfill the promise they make today. Bless and sustain them as they teach their children to know and love You. All this we pray in the name of Your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So parents, once again, we ask you, now that you've professed your faith and made that public statement, we ask now about the vow that you're going to make, which is to raise your children in the Lord. Again, the, the, the idea here is that as you teach your children to love and obey the Lord, that as they grow in that, they, are, they will be prepared when they're able to understand for themselves to commit themselves to the Lord as well, that they'll be prepared from an early age to follow Jesus, just like you have chosen to follow Jesus. And so I ask you, again, full families, to, to um, commit to doing that, doing the following with your children. Do you promise to instruct Abigail and Noah by word and example with the help of the Christian community in the truth of God's word and the way of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you promise to pray for them and teach them to pray? And do you promise to nurture them within the body of believers as citizens of Christ's kingdom? Praise God. And another wonderful thing, and you have a very real physical example in front of you, is that you're not in on this alone. You have a lot of wonderful family to here to support you and encourage you in this commitment that you're making. You also have a church family to love and support you as well. And so this is an opportunity for us to come alongside them in a very real way, um, to, to encourage them and support them in this commitment as well. You're not on your own, you know, and, and you know that. You know, you have a wonderful, loving family to support you, um, and you have a wonderful, loving church family to support you as well. And so all of you who are gathered, both Direct family and church family, I encourage you to um, commit to coming alongside them and loving them and helping them to fulfill the vow that they're making today. So I want to encourage you to, to repeat the words that are printed in your bulletin after this momentary moment of uh, a charge. Brothers and sisters, as we receive Abigail and Noah into Christ's church, I charge you to nurture and love them, to assist them to be Christ's faithful disciples. With joy and thanksgiving, we now welcome you into Christ's church. For we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you and to help you know and follow Christ. Amen. Amen. Now here's the fun part, right? Noah, we'll start with you. Buddy. So far, so good, right? Noah, Leo, James, Bruns, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His light shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Amen. And Abigail? Hey, sweetie. A lot of dress. That is good. All right, there we go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. 
Abigail Christine Hirschfeld, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the free gift of salvation that you've made available through his death and resurrection. Thank you for the symbol of baptism, which reminds us that you have washed away our sins and you give us new life as we put our trust in you. We do pray for Noah and Abigail. Bless and strengthen them daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to them the riches of your love. Deepen their faith and keep them from the power of evil. Enable them to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. May they grow to know, love, and serve you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also ask that you look with kindness on Justin and Victoria and Clinton and Danielle. Let them always rejoice in the gift that you've given them. Grant them with, by your pre- the presence of your Holy Spirit that, you may bring up, that they may bring up Abigail and Noah to know, love, and serve you in their neighbor. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, we have a few gifts for you as a, as a family. We have these Bibles for you to take home and, and read with your children as well as cert- certificates of baptism. Um, you guys got your hands full. I don't know if you want to take... Can I pass these on to you? Would that be all right? And you guys can take those home as well as the white roses that are on the altar after the service. You guys can take those home as gifts from the church as reminders of today. As they do transition down and as the kids find their way back to their families, let's take a moment and let's sing... Uh, a song that's very special for an occasion like this. Um, the song is called Borning Cry, and the words and the music are on the back of the bulletin. If you're able, I invite you to stand and join us as we sing the words to this song. seated. Before we turn our attention once again to the Lord in prayer, I just want to highlight a few things for you. Um, One is just a correction to the bulletin. Uh, This involves our confirmation parents and families. 
Uh, the schedule in the bulletin um, says confirmation photos are on the 21st, uh, but I want to make a correction there. The confirmation photos are actually on Palm Sunday, the 28th at 8 a.m. So for you confirmation, eighth grade confirmation families, uh, the photos are on March 28th, Palm Sunday at 8 a.m. Uh, while we're also talking about the bulletin, it's a good time to remind you that we do have some prayers and concerns listed in the bulletin. There's some names that are represented, names there that represent specific needs and requests that have come in this week, uh, individuals or families um, that we can be praying for. So I want to encourage you to do that, as well as um, praise God for um, the good things that are going on in life. And I, and I just mentioned that here just a moment ago. Uh, days when we have, have young children being baptized is, is always a great opportunity to pause and reflect on the good gifts that God has given us in life. Um, not only the, the, the two ch- individuals that we had baptized today, but also the announcement of a new child being born to a family in the church is such a blessing. And it's certainly a blessing from God to celebrate. Um, but it's a good reminder that we can also praise God for the little things, too. Um, we, he's there for us in the big moments of life, but he's also there for us in the little moments of life. And so those blessings and those answered prayers are encouragement for us to continue to go to the Lord and continue to seek him out um, in prayer. So let's do that together now. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can gather here today as, as people of the word and your promises. We thank you for the wonderful promises that you have made us. Lord, among them being that you will never leave nor forsake your people, that you'll be with us even to the end of the age, and that, um, and that you send your spirit to be present among your people. Lord, it's, it's because of that, it's because of the promises of your word that we can come to you now and, and lift up our concerns to you. First and foremost, Lord, we thank you and praise you for the gift of life. We thank you for, for children and, and new life being brought into this world. And, and we praise you because you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. Lord, we, especially during difficult times, need to remember that, that our blessings do come from you. Our provision does come from you in the big things as well as in the small things. So we thank you for, for the way that you have guided us as a church family, um, as individuals through this past year, and pray that you're, for your continued guidance and your continued provision for us into the future. Lord, we know that your faithfulness in the past is evidence, is, is, is confirmation that you will continue to be faithful in the present and will certainly be faithful in the future. And so that is what we hold our hope on. That's what we hold on to during difficult times, that your word is sure, that the promises that you make will come true, and that your goodness and your character and your love and your grace and your mercy know no bounds, and that we can hold on to that hope for ourselves. We do thank you for each person that's gathered here today and pray that as we continue to praise and worship you this morning and as we open up your word, that you would guide our hearts and minds. We do thank you for the radio ministry as well as Facebook Live and all those that are joining us through those means and ask, Lord, for your blessing to be upon them as well. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Our scripture today comes from Galatians 3, verses 23 through Galatians 4, verse 7. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. 
The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were set in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time set, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Thanks, Jake. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray now as we open it up together and study it together that you would give me words to speak and open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we continue our study through the book of, uh, book of Revelation. Um, I'm a little off there. <laughs> book of Galatians. I'm not throwing you a curveball, I promise. Uh, book of Galatians during Lent. Uh, we find ourselves in a, in a passage here that continues to build on the, the sermons that we've had the last couple weeks. If you were with us last week, you know that we talked about the difference between works righteousness and, and, and faith. Right? We talked about how we can't earn our way into God's family. We can't be so good that God will, will love us, right? That's not how this works. We come to faith. We come to Christ through faith. And it's, and it's on the basis of faith that we are saved, right? And so we're going to continue to talk about that. If you're, if you're like me, sometimes as we study God's word, more questions pop up. Sometimes we get the answers we want, but then there's the, yeah, well, what about the next step? What's the next thing that's coming down the line? And if, and if we're, if we had this conversation last week about the difference between works righteousness, right? And coming to faith in Christ and keeping him first, then the question may come up naturally. Well, why did God give us the law then? What purpose does the law serve? Right? If, if we come to Christ through faith and it's not by works of the law, then why did God provide the law for us in the first place? Right? Why did God set this expectation for us that he knew from the get-go that we would never be able to keep? Right? And that's where Paul goes here with this conversation as well. So we're going to start there today. There's a couple things I want to cover. First of all is the purpose of the law. Why God did give us the law if it's through faith that we are saved. And then what it means to truly be set free from the law and be children by faith. So first of all, let's talk about the purpose of the law. The passage here starts by talking about um, the law being like a guardian, being under that we are under custody of the law. He's using kind of a, a legal term here. He's talking about uh, underage children who are heirs to an estate. Maybe they come from a wealthy family, right? And they are in line for an inheritance. Well, until they come of age, until they're old enough legally to receive that inheritance, that inheritance is being managed and kept by a guardian. Um, some translations mention tutor or something like that. It's actually it's a, it's a legal term that Paul is talking about here. In other words, a, a guardian or a tutor was someone who managed the estate or managed the property until that child came of age when they could take it over for themselves. And so he says that's in its essence what the law has done for us. It was a guardian for us. And so what does that mean for us? Well, there's a few implications. Uh, the purpose of the law, what purpose the law served for us. And one is a negative kind of purpose. I don't mean negative as in bad. I mean negative as in it, it reveals something about us. And it reveals that our, we are truly sinful. Right? The law was given to us for the purpose of revealing our sin to us. Right? It's like a spotlight that, has, that shines directly on our lives and shines on our thoughts and our actions and our behavior. And it shows us that we aren't able to fulfill the law. Paul has this whole conversation in Romans chapter 7, this back and forth about the purpose of the law. And, and I want to just highlight one verse in Romans 7, 7. He says, well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. You see, so one of the purpose of the law, one of the reasons that God gave us the Ten Commandments and all the laws and regulations that flowed from that, one of the purposes is that we could understand just how sinful we are, right? That doesn't mean the law itself is bad. It's revealing the sinful nature that's within us. 
So if the law wasn't there, we would never truly know our need for Christ. So there's the negative purpose, the negative reason that God gave us law. But there's also a positive reason and that the law sets boundaries for Christ-like behavior. I'm, as Allie will tell you, I love pretty much all sports. If I can find one to watch on TV, I will. But one of my favorites is baseball. And we are getting into baseball season here real quick. Spring training has started. Games will be starting soon. And if you're familiar with baseball, right, there's foul lines on each side of the field. And if the batter hits a ball and it lands anywhere in between those foul lines, the ball is in play and it's fair. But if they hit it outside those foul lines, if they pull it, pull it down the line and it goes foul left of the left of the line or right of the line on the other side, then it's out and then it's a foul ball, right? And play stops, right? Think of God's word and his law and his commandments as like the boundaries on the playing field. It gives us an idea of what good, positive, Christ-like character is. And it gives us what sorts of behaviors and actions and attitudes are out of bounds outside of God's will and character and law. So there's a positive reinforcement there. It says not just, it doesn't just reveal our sin, but it gives us something to try to live up to. The problem is that we tend to push back against boundaries, don't we? Especially, especially children, right? Where it's just a natural, it's in our human nature to push back against the boundaries that are imposed on us. Miles is in the stage right now where he will ask me a question, and if he doesn't like the answer, then he will go and ask mom the same question, right? And sometimes we're in the same room right in front of us. He doesn't quite get that we can hear each other. Um, but we tell him, like, we're on the same team. Like, and we've, we were trying to teach ourselves to say, right, what did dad say or what did mom say so that we can know that we are on the same team? If mom gave you an answer, that's the answer. If dad gave you an answer, that's the answer. But we, like children, have a tendency to push back against the boundaries. We want to know how far is too far. And the law provides the answer for us. Think of, think of how the Ten Commandments are structured, right? When we think of the law, the Ten Commandments is at the center of that. And the Ten Commandments can be broken down into two groups, right? How to relate to God and how to relate to other people. That's in essence what the law is all about. When Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment, right, he summed it up pretty much that way. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40, We have this scenario, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, the law provides the context in which we can truly love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what it's all about. And all the other laws and commands, right? The, the 613 laws in the Old Testament and anything we read in you know, the New Testament about what it means to live for Christ, they're all extensions of that law to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. They're all there to, as further explanation on how to do those two things. So the, the purpose of the law, we can sum it up in, in two ways. It's negative, it reveals our sin, but it's positive. It gives us something, it gives us the boundaries, it gives us the context for how to live for Christ in the world. But the ultimate purpose, the, to those two things together, reveal the ultimate purpose, which is to point people to Christ, right? The guardian is only temporary, right? Until that child came of age. And so, so the coming of age, right, the fulfillment of that is Christ himself. Jesus, God the Son in the flesh, coming and living and dying for us. Right? That's what all the law, the temple, um, the sacrificial system was all meant to point us and prepare us for Jesus. And, Ma- and Jesus understands that in Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've, come, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So all of those things, the Ten Commandments, the the sacrificial system, the temple itself were all meant to point us to Christ. They foreshadowed the coming of the Messiah. 
You guys know what I mean by foreshadow? I remember talking like in English class when I was a kid. We had to pick out examples of foreshadowing in books that we read. Those little, those little hints that were dropped by the author to prepare you for the twist or the, the, the conclusion of the book. In essence, that's what God is doing through the law and the prophets. It's a foreshadow. It's preparing us to understand better who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We can't truly understand God's word, or excuse me, can't truly understand Jesus's uh, uh, ministry until we understand the law better. And we surely can't understand Jesus' sacrifice on the cross until we understand the temple and the sacrificial system better. They all lead up and point us to Christ. So that's why God gave us the law, but he's also very clear that the law cannot save us. We talked about that last week. And But Paul builds on that idea here. He goes on to say that all people, in essence here, at the end of Galatians chapter 3, he says all people are in the same boat. Since the law can't save us, right? Since it's unable to bring salvation, it makes no difference whether someone is a Jew or Gentile. If people can be saved by having and obeying the law, then Christ died for nothing, right? If works righteousness works, then we don't need a sacrifice on the cross. We don't need faith because we can earn it for ourselves. But, but that falls short, right? We can't save ourselves, so we need something greater than the law. We need Jesus himself. I talked a lot last week about the difference between Jew and Gentile, and, and I feel like that can be a little abstract. And in the week since, I thought, of, I thought of another way for us to look at it, and I hope this is helpful. Think of the divide between Jew and Gentile like being the difference between someone who grew up in the church and someone who grew up outside of the church. Right? Are there benefits to growing up in the church, going to Sunday school, being active in youth group? Of course there are. Right? Someone who grows up in the church and better yet has parents that teach them about God and what he's done for them. Right? That is a good thing. Better, most likely, right? They're going to be in a better position than the person who grows up outside the church and has never heard the name of Jesus in its appropriate context, right? So there is a benefit. There is value to raising your children in the church, right? That's why we did what we did earlier in the service. But let me ask you this. Does that knowledge save them? Does simply having the advantage of growing up in church make a person more acceptable to God? The answer is an emphatic no, right? That isn't what makes the difference. People are not saved by obeying the law. They're not saved by outstanding church attendance or knowledge of the Bible. They're saved for one reason and one reason alone, right? Faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 26, right? All children, all children of God through faith, right? That's the purpose on the basis of faith. Not through obedience, not through being perfect, through faith. And that's true for the avid churchgoer and the person who's never darkened the door of the sanctuary. Right? All the knowledge in the world, even biblical knowledge, is not enough to save you. A person is saved only by grace through faith in Christ. And Paul goes on to say something profound in the closing verses of that chapter. He says, All children of God are all are children of God through faith. But then he goes on to say that it's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Right? The gospel cuts through racial, social, and economic barriers. He's not saying that those distinctions aren't real or they're not important. But what he's saying is as far as faith is concerned, it makes no difference if you're a wealthy Jewish male or a poor Gentile female. Right? There's one God one gospel, and one way to be saved, no matter who you are or where you were born. Jesus put it this way in John fourteen six: I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? That invitation that Jesus makes is, is exclusive. Right? The only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection. But that invitation is open to all people. Right? Notice there's no other qualifications there. Because those other things don't matter when it comes to the basis of faith. The only qualification to be saved is the trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. All who are thirsty are invited to drink the water of life without cost.
So that's what the purpose of the law. It's, it serves as a guardian. The law shined a spotlight on our sin. It provided boundaries for behavior and ultimately pointed us to Jesus, the one person who can truly save us. So in Galatians 4, he goes on to talk about what that means, what it looks like. In those opening verses, he talks about that, he big, picks up that guardian language again. Right? While, while a person is underage, they're no different from a slave or servant. Although they own the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time comes set by the father. So that's that's what we're like until Christ came. But then Christ made all the difference. Picking up in verse four says that the set time when the set time had fully come. Do you know that God had planned for Jesus to come and save us from the very creation of the world? From the time of the, the time that this entire universe is created. It was all working up to the cross. From creation to the cross was, was God's purposeful plan to save us. God knew we would sin. God knew that humanity would fall. Yet he chose to do it anyways. Right? He chose from the creation of the world to save us through Christ. And, and all, from, all through history, from creation to the cross, was building to that point. Right? Like, a, like a woman who's pregnant, right? They know it's coming, and, and every moment that goes, that passes each day, each week, each month that passes, builds up to that point for the child to arrive, right? And that when that time comes, it's here, right? God had set that time from before creation, and in His plan all along was to send His Son to save us. It says it was. God's son born of a woman. Notice the, the, the dichotomy there, right? That, that this, is, this person that came was God's son, right? But he's also born of a woman. It's referring to the fact that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. That's, that's so important, right? Jesus existed from the beginning of the world, yet he gave up, he came and gave up his life for us. Paul puts it this way in his letter to the, to the Philippians. Speaking of Jesus, he said, who in very nature being God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Right? That's why Jesus came and he laid down his life so that we may live. It says that he was born under the law to redeem those under the law. Right? Jesus subjected himself to the law. He perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law and at the same time took the punishment for our disobedience. Notice that he was the only one who perfectly was able to fulfill the law, yet he willingly took the punishment for our disobedience. Notice what Paul wrote in 327. It says that we are clothed with Christ. Because he took the punishment of our disobedience, we receive his righteousness in our place. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. So that when the Father looks at a born-again believer, He doesn't see their sin. He doesn't see their mistakes. He doesn't see their imperfections. He sees the perfect obedience and righteousness of Christ applied to that person. And then it says that we are adopted to sonship. And that's such an important term. God could have used any number of metaphors or analogies to describe that relationship, but he says that we have been adopted into his family. In his book, What's, about, What's Good About This News, uh, David Bartlett tells this story. He says, my wife and I have friends who are uh, a wonderfully mixed family, mixed in part because one of their sons is their biological offspring and the other children are adopted. Not long ago, they were explaining to the youngest child what it meant to, for him to be adopted. Now, he had been chosen and waited for and welcomed with joy. As part of the story, they also had to explain that Mark, the brother, was their child biologically. When they'd finished explaining what it meant to say that Tommy was adopted, he cried out, that is so wonderful. Can't we adopt Mark too? Right? He got it. He understood what it meant to be adopted. It meant that there was, he was chosen. He was loved. He had been waited for. He'd been prayed for. Right? And he wanted that for his biological brother too. Right? Adoption is such a wonderful picture of God's love for us, of choosing to take a child in and love them unconditionally as if they were their own biologically. I want to close by sharing three things 
that we can learn about what it means to be adopted into God's family. First of all, when we're adopted into God's family, it is, it is by God's choice. It is the parent's choice to adopt us. In John chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human's decision or a husband's will, but born of God. When we trust in Jesus, we are adopted into his family. He chooses us. He chooses to love us and welcome us into his family. It's not something we can earn for ourselves. It's not something we can do to, you know, like that, like the younger brother in the prodigal son story. We can't earn our way back in. God simply loves us and accepts us into his family on his initiative. The second thing we see is that adoption is permanent, right? You don't adopt a kid for a temporary period of time. You adopt him for a lifetime. And the same is true for in our relationship with God. Our, when we are adopted in his family, that is a permanent transition into being a child of God. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Right? When we are welcomed into God's family, he places a seal of ownership upon us. A seal was a very important um, a very important thing in ancient times, you know, before you, you know, there was, it was a way to mark ownership, right? When, if a, if a person had a seal, it was unique to them, right? And when you placed your seal on something, it declared ownership and it provided proof that the contents were authentic. And that's what God has done for us. When we are born again, when he, when he gives us his spirit, it's him placing his seal on us. In 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, it says, we will also, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the, our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and He who called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it's by parents' choice, it's permanent, but it's also the real deal. It's legitimate. Paul says in Romans 8 that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. There's that term again. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies that our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. If you've put your trust in Jesus, you are his child. Right? You are part of his family, and there's nothing that can take that away from you. At the end of Romans chapter 8, he says this. I want to close with these words. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? There's our hope right there. That when the set time had fully come, God sent his son to redeem us so that we too may be children of God. And when you put your trust in him, when, you, when, you, when he gives you his Holy Spirit, you become children of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the promise of your word that, that you love us unconditionally. That you sent your spirit into our hearts so that we may know you as father. Not just in our heads, Lord, but in our hearts as well. Lord, help us to live as true children of God. Not for ourselves, not to earn your favor, but so that the world may see you, may see our good deeds and glorify our God, our Father who is in heaven. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's close our service. If you're able, I invite you to stand and sing with us how deep the Father's love for us.
Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord face may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace. Thank you.